The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Hey, thank you so much for joining us online today. It's been a couple weeks since we've been in the Gospel of Luke, but I'm excited to jump back in today. Uh, it's, it's really a pivotal point in the story of Jesus and especially how Luke chooses to tell it. For the first half, now we're not halfway through the book yet, but for the first half of Jesus' life, the, the power is what was emphasized. Absolutely, his power, his ability to heal the sick, to cast out demons, his ability to talk to nature, his ability to even raise the dead. That's been what Luke has emphasized. That's what all the other gospel writers emphasize. But we saw a couple weeks ago when Jesus had returned with the 12, they, they told him how much success they'd had in their mission. And then Peter makes his confession of faith. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It's at that point that everything really changes for Jesus, and he starts to teach and to lead his disciples, those who follow him. He starts to teach and to lead them to prepare them for his impending death. He starts to get them ready, to get their minds wrapped around what it's going to take to follow a leader who's going to lay down their life. And so he predicts that death, and and Peter says, no, 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 that's never going to happen. And then the very next thing that Luke records is what I call Jesus' demands for discipleship. And I know in church we use that term discipleship a bunch, but here's what it simply means in this context. Jesus is going to lay out the three demands that it takes to be one of his followers, to be one of his disciples. And if we as a church are seeking to make disciples for the glory of God, then we need to make sure that the people we're discipling understand the demands that Jesus himself lays out. It's not just about willy-nilly going, hey, Jesus, I'm with you. Yes, that's a small piece of it, but there are some huge demands, and Jesus will lay those out today in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 26. We'll start with those three demands. They're all in the first verse, okay? They're all in the first verse. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then Jesus said to them all, there's a decent-sized crowd here. It's not just the 12 disciples. Whoever wants to be my disciple... If you want to follow me, you must deny yourself. They must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. So in there, there are three distinct demands to be a follower, to be a disciple of Jesus. And I want to unpack them one at a time. So demand number one, deny yourself. Let's start with what that isn't first. Okay, denying yourself as the first demand is not aestheticism, meaning you deny pleasure. It's not saying that if you enjoy any part of life, you can't be a follower of Jesus. That is absolutely not what it is. It's also not self-discipline. Okay, it's not just like, hey, I I am rigorously devout to my workout regimen. I don't eat dessert. And so because I am that, I can be a follower. Or if you fudge on dessert every time, then you cannot be a follower. It's not self-discipline. Here's what denying yourself means. It's understanding God's refusal to play a minor role in your life. He refuses. He refuses to be put behind even yourself. Okay, it can't go you, God, family. It it can't be that. It has to be God, number one. He refuses to play a minor role. He requires a controlling place in your life. Those who deny themselves have learned to say, not my will, God, but yours be done. 
That's, that's the first demand. Not my will, God, not mine first, but yours. May your will be done. Those who deny themselves say no to the I or the self that drives them. And they say yes to the God who leads them to an abundant life. Okay, is that starting to make sense? This first demand, deny yourself. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it this way. To deny oneself is to be aware only of Christ and no more of self. Jesus replaces self. To see only him who goes before and no more the road which is too hard for us. To deny yourself, to deny yourself is to no longer see, oh, I've got to get this done. I need this. I have to have this. It's to see only God. It's to see only him, not even the road in front of you, but just, Lord, wherever you go, whatever you want, I'm in. I'm in. I'm following you. You deny yourself by denying your desire for honor, status, wealth, ease, security, revenge, all these things that are driven by self. Now, it doesn't mean you can't have wealth, you can't have status, you can't have honor, you can't have some form of security specifically in God. It doesn't mean that sometimes life can't be easy. That's not what Jesus is demanding. But he's saying, these things cannot supersede me. They cannot be before me. I am number one. So the first demand, deny yourself. Demand number two, take up your cross daily daily. Now, Matthew and Mark both record this, but Luke is the only one who adds daily here, and we'll get to that at the end, but I think it's so important. Now, the idea of taking up your cross, we have a phrase that most people don't use anymore, but you throw it on at the end of something negative, like, oh, my neighbor, can't stand them, but they're just my cross to bear, you know, or we talk about like an ailment, physical pain. Well, that's just, that's my cross to bear. I just got this bum hip. That's my, that's my cross. I've got to have one, you know, or we, we think, oh, this financial situation, it's, it's not what I would want, but hey, it's my cross to bear. We have to understand this second demand in the context of the first century. Okay, the Roman Empire was the one who really used crucifixion the first time. Now, it was done before, but they were the ones who utilized it for a very specific purpose. And they saved it for the few times where groups of people would try to rise up and form an insurrection against the Roman government. So if you wanted to lead a rebellion against the most powerful empire the world had seen to that point, if you were willing to try to do that, the way they would squash it and the way they would make sure you were going to think, if you were someone planning one, think before you try this, is they would take all those who were part of the rebellion, their family members, they would take them outside the city and they would line the road with them all being crucified side by side. So as you entered the town and as you left the town, you would see the people who said, I, I tried to go against the Roman government. And they would hang there, sometimes for days before they died, one of the most excruciating deaths that you could die, for Jesus to say this to his disciples, to his followers, hey, you've got to deny yourself and you've got to take up your cross daily. They would have been repulsed by that statement. What are you talking about? No one takes up a cross. You take up a cross if you've been crushed, if you've been stopped, you've been demolished. Your rebellion has failed. 
No one would willingly take up a cross. It was considered cursed. It was a repulsive thing. And Jesus says this. Now, when he had just earlier predicted his death, he didn't say that he would die on a cross. He didn't say that yet. He'll say it later. But he just said he had to die. And now he throws in this language. And so it's probably the first time that the disciples are hearing this term, a cross. Why would you say that? Well, Jesus is inviting his true followers to join a rebellion against an earthly kingdom to produce a new leading kingdom. But this is a rebellion that in all the earth's eyes looks like a failure because its leader is going to be crucified. Its second in command, Peter, will end up being crucified. It is a rebellion that by all earthly standards is going to fail. But it's one that Jesus invites us to come and deny ourselves Join a rebellion that's already doomed to failure in earthly standards, but will in the end produce the results of changing an earthly kingdom to a heavenly kingdom. It's a rebellion that he invites us into. And he says, this isn't just something you do once. It's not just like, I'm with you, Jesus. I'm against this world and all the things of it. I'll take the mockery and the ridicule. I, 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 you don't just get to say that once. You choose that daily. You daily say, hey, the world's going to not like me for this. The world may mock me for this, but I'm with you, Jesus. I choose you, Jesus. Daily, I will follow you, even when it doesn't make sense. Even when it's hard, I'm in. I will pick up my cross every day, regardless of the consequences, and I will follow you. Demand number three, follow me. Follow me. In the first century, rabbis were revered in Jewish communities. They, they were the spiritual leaders, but they were really truly the, the center of the community. And so all of the young Jewish boys, they would aspire aspire to be rabbis. You couldn't be any more revered. So they would aspire to that. And so from a very young age, they would be trained in the schools. They would, they would go to the Hebrew school. And, and at one point, around the age of 14, they would stand before the rabbi and they would ask to follow him. They would ask, can I follow you? Can I be your disciple? Will you train me to do what you do, to teach what you teach, and then maybe I can be the rabbi after you? Almost every young boy was told, no. No, I, I've watched you. You clearly love God. You've been a good listener. You've been a good student. But you can't do what I do. You're not capable of teaching what I teach. I, I don't think you're it. But to a select few, that rabbi, that rabbi would look at that young man and say, come follow me. And Jesus has done this with 12. 12 boys who were told by their hometown rabbi, you're not quite good enough. But Jesus grabbed them out of fishing boats and tax collector booths. And he said, no. I want you to follow me. I want you to do what I do, teach what I teach, and represent me in my absence. And now, now Jesus is saying the third demand, the third demand to be my follower is I need you to do those three things. And if you're willing to do those three things, great, come follow me. But if you're not, 
If you're not, then you can't be my disciple. You can't be my disciple. And there's a rationale for this. There really is. There's a rationale for this kind of harsh demand. And and I know it doesn't make a ton of sense, but here's why Jesus has to lay out three such difficult demands. Because he's inviting you to be a disciple in a backwards kingdom. It's a kingdom that doesn't make sense in this world. And Jesus wants his followers to understand that if you're going to be my disciple, you are entering into a backwards way of thinking. And he explains that in Luke 9, 24 through 25. Because see, it's like this. Whoever wants to save his life or their life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel, whoever denies themselves, you don't literally have to die. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self, their very being? What, what good is that? It's a, it's a valid question. And Jesus is pointing out why the demands are so strict and so important. So what Jesus does to help explain this is he appeals to the basic human desire to secure our own lives. We want security, and so he appeals to that. Why would someone make such great sacrifices? The demands of discipleship, why would they do that? Well, because humans seek a guarantee that their lives will not fail. We want that. We want security to know that our lives are worth something and that they will not fail. And so, unfortunately, we typically try to do that. We try to secure it with the wrong things, things that will fail. The Bible says things like, we build bigger barns. If I can just store enough stuff away, then my life will be secure. We hedge our bets. Like, I'm not going to go too far this way. I'm not going to be too intense with this. I'm just going to go kind of stay right down the middle to make sure that nothing bad ever happens to me. We want security. Jesus knows that. But he offers us a paradoxical approach. If you want to save your life, if you want to guarantee security, you've got to lose it. You got to give it up. Nothing anyone does can save their soul. No amount of money can ransom your soul for God. It, it, it can't. There's one way. If we give up our lives for the sake of Jesus and the gospel, we will be given the only life that counts, and that's life from God. And here's the best way here's the best way that I've found to look at this rationale. You can do everything you can to make this life great. You can wake up every morning early, work your tails off, do everything within your power to make this life great. You can literally gain the whole world. And some have tried and come close. Think about through history. Some some have really, truly tried to gain the whole world, and they've come dang close to doing it. But if you fail to surrender your life to the creator of this world and to trust in his son Jesus... You will literally forfeit everything for this reason. Everyone dies. What good is it if you gain the whole world and then die and forfeit it all, including your soul? Because you can't take it with you and you can't possibly ever acquire enough for God to look at you and go, oh yeah, well you can buy your way in. It doesn't work that way. 
Mark 8.37 adds just one more phrase. He says, or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Is there anything else? Is there anything that you can earn or attain that you can exchange for your soul? And Jesus would say, no, no, there's not. Um, there's just one way to secure your soul. It's to deny yourself in this life, to trust Jesus and his ways, to seek the Lord, and then you will find eternal life. There's just one way, and there's, there's one chance, and there's one opportunity to do this. And the cool thing is, you get to pick which option you want. Try to secure your life in your own means, in your own way, living life for yourself in hopes that that will get you what you want and what you need. Or you can choose to deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, and follow him. You get to pick. It's your choice. But I pray that even as harsh as these demands are, you make the right choice. You pick the right thing. Jesus has a warning in Luke chapter 9, verse 26. He says, whoever's ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. <clears throat> this passage always frightened me because I read it and I'm like, oh no. There's been moments in my life where I've definitely, definitely been embarrassed of God. Um, I remember in particular one time, I, I just started going to church. I started going in my teenage years. So I wasn't a baby or a kid, but I mean, I wasn't an adult. And, and you know, in this youth group, every once in a while, like you'd be called out at, at the end, like, hey, would you pray for us? Or at the beginning, would you pray for us? And I always remember being like, I just don't pick me. I'm not comfortable praying out loud. I don't know how to do it. I, I'm embarrassed. And then someone read this passage is like, oh no, oh no. I'm ashamed of God. I'm ashamed of Jesus. When he comes back, he's going to be ashamed of me. I, I got so worried about that. But that's, but that's not what this warning is talking about. It's not saying that if you're embarrassed to pray in public, you can't be Jesus' disciple. It's not what it's saying at all. This warning is for his disciples not to retreat from the present shame that you might receive in the eyes of this world. Don't be embarrassed in the difference that might be between you and the rest of the world. Don't be embarrassed by that. Don't, don't try to play the game of both sides. There's no need to do that. Because in embracing that embarrassment, embracing that shame, embracing that difference, you're being Jesus' disciple. You need to side with him now, now, in his suffering, in his humiliation, or you won't be on his side when he comes in glory. And, and I know that sounds crazy, but I, let, me think, let me help you think of it like this. If you don't choose Jesus now, when it's hard, when he comes back and it's super easy, doesn't it make sense that he would just be like, I didn't know you. You weren't willing to pay the price. You weren't willing to serve me and follow me even just because you were embarrassed. So, so I'm not going to advocate for you now that it's easy. I, I look at eternity this way. If you don't want to be in God's presence now, then when you die, 
What, why would he make you be in his presence forever? I think, I think a lot of times we think of heaven and hell and we're like, that's just so mean. I mean, like, you made a mistake. You, you didn't choose right. But, but what, if you've, what have you been told you need to choose? And, and you're just like, yeah, I mean, God's just not my jam. I don't, I don't want God. Why would he make you take him for eternity? If you say, I, I don't want Jesus, that embarrasses me. Why would he accept you upon his return? I know it doesn't sound rosy, but it logically makes sense. If you don't choose Jesus now, he's not going to choose you on judgment day. Being a disciple is about way more than just attending church, saying a prayer, living some kind of moralistic life. I think we've done a poor job as the church and as a whole of teaching this, of helping people see that it's a daily decision to deny yourself, to pick up your cross and to follow him. I think that's what it is. Jesus demands everything from his followers. The cost is astronomical. The cost is your life, but, but here's the deal. The reward, the reward's really awesome too. It's astronomical. The reward is everything. And, and the price is some years of your life here, but the reward is eternity. And to me, that's an that's a unbalanced transaction. Like the, your cost, while it is your life, while, while it feels so much now, the reward, I mean, it's just so much more valuable. And Jesus wants his followers to know that this is how it works. Halfway doesn't cut it. You can't hedge bets on this one. You can't have both sides. You can't have this world and Jesus. You pick. You pick in this world which one you want, and it determines what happens in the next. So I ask today, I ask the same thing Jesus asks. If you want to be his follower, if you want to be with him in eternity, then you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Doing so, you will lose your life. And so, as are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do that, to make that choice now? Have you made that decision? You personally, I'm talking to you right now, wherever you're at, have you personally made that decision to follow Jesus? When you think, find yourself picking up your cross and following Jesus. Summarizes your life. You're never going to be perfect, but you feel like, yeah, that, I mean, yes, I, I understand. That's the cost. Like, I, I get that is the demand of following Jesus. And if so, that's great. But if it's not, if it's not, I, I want you to evaluate. I want you to look. I want you to realize that Jesus can't be any more clear here. In these few verses, he is so clear of what it takes to call yourself a follower. And then finally, it's just a very general response today. What do you need to do? What do you need to do for Jesus to look at you and go, well done, You're, you, you get it. You are my disciple. And one day I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna pick you up. I'm gonna gather you and I'm gonna take you to your heavenly reward. And I'm going to look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You followed me. 
You picked up your cross. You denied yourself. You accepted the grace of God. You did so all for his glory, by his power. Well done. I want each and every one of you listening today to hear those words from him. And you have now the tools. You know now what to do to guarantee that, to secure that. I think that's why Jesus taught it this way. So I pray you will respond in a like way to say, Jesus, you're all that I want. You're all that I need. And I will follow you the rest of my life. I'll follow you the rest of my life so that I can spend eternity with you. Father, help us, help us all to know what it takes to, to follow you daily. Help us all to grow in our understanding of that. We know we're not perfect. We know we fall short. We know that your grace is sufficient, but God, may we be disciples of yours. May we be disciples that make disciples for your glory. Jesus, help us in this day to hear these demands and not be crushed by the weight of them, but encouraged by the reward of doing so. The abundant life here on this earth that you give, the eternal life, and the ability to say that we have secured our existence in heaven with you when we die or when you come back. God, I pray that that motivates those who need to respond today to do so, to turn to you in faith, to turn from their sin and from this world, to love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And God, to do so for your glory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.